Hello, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of this year's show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number eight, Logging Your Time. Hello. Welcome back. It's been another two weeks. I, I know you've been anxiously awaiting this episode. I would be. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, today we have a very special interview with a friend of mine. Her name is Laura Vanderkam. She is uh, who I consider to be the go-to time management expert in the world. Uh, she's the author of several time management and productivity books, including Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. She knows how to use her hours every week, having written all these best-selling books that have sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Her TED Talk has uh, over 10 million views. It's, it's uh, incredible. And her work has appeared in publications like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. She's the host of the podcast Before Breakfast and the co-host of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. Uh, she lives in Philly with her husband and four kids and blogs at lauravandercam.com. Can you tell that I just read her bio off of the screen in front of me. It's a good one, but it's, it's, she's one of those people where it's tough to know where to start. And more than that, and, and like all the folks that have appeared as a guest on this show so far, David Allen, Cal Newport, she's just a good person who uh, is fun to hang out with, fun to chat with. And so I, we chatted on, on this episode about things like uh, why you should log your time, uh, what time management is in general, the, the stories that we tell ourselves, the guilt that uh, arises around when we manage our time, uh, what we can do when things feel like they're out of our control, um, the feeling that we have no time over the span of the day, and uh, stuff she's working on becoming better at right now. This is, and I mentioned this in the conversation, this is one of those episodes that I personally listened to a couple of times, not just in editing down our conversation so that it contains the most helpful nuggets from the interview, but also because uh, I, I love this stuff. I, you know, it's uh, th- this is such a passion of mine, and she is the go-to expert on time management, in my opinion. So, enough preamble. God, Chris, just be quiet and, and get to the interview. Okay, I will. Uh, this is my conversation with Laura Vanderkam. By the way. I interrupted her. She's on a beach vacation this week, kind of a working vacation. And, and so she was gracious enough to, to give her uh, some of, to give us some of her, her time. And so buy her books, for God's sake. It's a good enough reason by itself. Enjoy my chat. Laura Vanderkamp. It's awesome that, you know, to have somebody on the show that just thinks so much about time. And, and for that reason, this is honestly a tough interview to prep for because there's just so much that someone can ask you. You've written five big books about time management uh, that have been translated dozens of times. Your TED Talk has been watched over 10 million times. You've written hundreds of pieces about how we can manage our time and our life better. Uh, and in my eyes, you're the go-to 
time management expert. Uh, so when I, was th- what I was thinking about for this conversation is we can start with the basics, you know, what time management is in general, then, then get into a tactic that you're a big advocate for, keeping a time log, and then uh, dig into some common emotions that people have around managing their time, which, um, which you write about as well. So, uh, so time management in general, when you hear the words time management, apart from uh, your most of your career flashing before your very eyes. What first pops in your mind? Well, I know that there's this real sort of, you know, rule abiding kind of scheduling everything to the hilt connotation to the term time yeah. management. And, and so a lot of people really don't like it. They, they kind of resist that idea. Um, but I don't know a better word for it, uh, <laughs> where you would shelve my books. But, but to me, um, time management is really about asking how we wish to live our lives because uh, life is lived in hours. Um, whatever you accomplish in life is going to be a function of how you spend your hours. Whatever you're going to do is going to take time. Uh, so these questions yeah. of how we spend our time are really larger questions of what the good life means to us. Uh, and, and so, you know, time is a resource, a tool that can be used to achieve the good life, just as there are other resources, you know, money, um, connections, whatever it is. But uh, time sort of is at the center of it all. Hmm. So the the point of managing our time then is to sculpt the life that we want, would you say? Yeah, I mean, because so much of time management literature is about saving bits of time here and there on, on everyday activities. And I mean, I like a good time management hack as much as anyone else, even if it seems like a lot of them are sort of as pointless as one I read recently, clean the shower while you're in it. It's like, yeah, great. Oh, God. <laughs> that's that's, that's going to change everything. Um, then you just don't enjoy showers anymore. Then showers suck. And if showers suck, then what's the point of living? What's the, well, you know, it's kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's really not about, you know, there's nothing wrong with turning a 45 minute meeting into a 30 minute meeting. Like that's great. But the question is, well, what is that time going to be used for? I mean, what Mm. are we wishing to do more of with our time? What are the good things to fill our time with? What is meaningful and enjoyable for ourselves and the people we care about? So how rigid should we be then? So some people, you know, they like to schedule every little moment of their day while some people like keeping things open. So uh, personally, I love these wide open spaces. Wide open space. Well, Arden, the co-host of the podcast, if people are tuning in for the first time, uh, she likes things. She's also my fiance. More importantly, I should say. Um, well, she likes keeping things structured to a T. So, you know, in that rigidness vein, who's right? You know, how should we tell how structured we should make our days and our lives? Well, nobody's right um, because this is oh. purely a personal preference. Uh, I'm. I think there's a, also a huge difference between planning every minute and planning nothing. Um, these are mm. often presented as sort of the either or alternatives. And, and that's kind of silly because nobody does either one of those things. Most of us are somewhere <laughs> in the middle. We, yeah. we plan some things. And the question is how many things. Um, and, and it changes from person to person and during different seasons of life as well. If you are, mm. you know, for instance, um, dealing with, many children's activities and job travel and other such things, uh, then your life may need to be more tightly scheduled than somebody who um, works for herself and doesn't have those same personal commitments, right? So it's really, you know, about different life stages and about different 
um, preferences. I would say that most people, and I know I've, I've heard this idea from you as well, Chris, would do well to think of at least like three things that they'd like to do in their day, like three things that would be good for them to do either important things or, you know, meaningful things, enjoyable things. So three intentions for the day. And if you do those things, you're great. Um, but three things during the course of, say, you know, 17 hours that you are awake uh, works out to very limited <laughs> intentions yeah. per, per hour, um, leaving plenty of open space if, if that is what you wish to do. Mm. Yeah. Are, are there certain, have you encountered anything with regard to whether there are certain personality traits that somebody could have that make them more likely to crave structure or have you encountered anything or do we all kind of have to say, okay, this is the, these are the constraints of my life right now. This is what I need right now. And so this is what I should schedule. Um, I think, you know, if you put any stock in the whole Myers-Briggs stuff, um, which I think, you know, I only put a limited stock in, yeah. but you know, some people are J's. Um, and some people are P's and J's tend to like more of the structure and scheduling, um, knowing what is coming up in advance. Um, the P's are more of those who like to think of themselves as dwelling in possibility. Mm. Uh, and, and so being less likely to plan things in advance. I think both are great. Um, both can work. I think that um, probably many J's would benefit from having a little bit of open space in their lives to see what happens. Um, and I think many P's will drive themselves crazy and the people around them crazy without putting some structure into their days. Mm. Um, but, you know, you, you also just have to deal with the time of life that you're in. I, I was at a dinner given in my husband's honor not oh. too long ago, and there were people giving toasts where they were sort of making fun of him and said, like, it's impossible to come up with somebody who is more P than him, right? So that's the free flowing, like changing everything last minute, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's that's ju- it's judging and perceiving, right? Those are the judging words. and perceiving. And and yeah. my, you know, but my experience of him is not so much of that because the two of us are managing a household together. So of course it has to be, you know, structured. Like somebody has to be here when the kids are there, you know. And if we're not, we have to figure out who else is there. And you know, so yeah. it's um. If there are three children who need to be in three different places on a Saturday at the same time, well, that's obviously something we can't just figure out on the spur of the moment. Yeah. So, uh, you know, even if he's not naturally oriented toward the J side of things, he's had to be more J oriented uh, for family matters. And I know that I may be more J oriented, but I'm I've learned to you know go go with the flow and be more spontaneous in certain things uh, if that's what works for everyone at the moment. Yeah. So, so time tracking, one of these uh, tactics that you're a big advocate for. How you've been tracking your time for quite some time, right? Four four years, more than four years now. Four years. So you have data for how you spend every thirty minute block of time. Is that right? For yeah. Every single day. Every thir- every thirty minutes for the past four years. Um, which, lest anyone wonder, I'm not writing down every thirty minutes what I'm doing. I, I generally check like a in- crazy person. Yeah, that would be absolutely crazy. I check in three times a day, roughly, Mm. um, and maybe on weekends only twice or so, um, and write down what I've done since the last time I checked in. Uh, I can actually recall a full 24 hours now. I've trained myself to do that just because I I remember certain markers of time now. Again, well, like anything, it's a skill, you know? And so you've been doing it for four straight years. You're going to learn how to do it. Um, But most days, it's probably three times I check in. Which takes me about a minute each time. So it's a, it's a hmm. three minute a day habit. Sort of that like brushing your sound. teeth. Yeah. It's exactly like brushing your teeth. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You say, you know, you regimentedly track every 30 minute block. It sounds like, oh my God, who the, who the hell would want to do that? But yeah, a few minutes a day sounds okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it doesn't sound that bad to me. So how can somebody, how can somebody start with that? Um, well, there's lots of ways you can do it. I, I track my time on weekly spreadsheets, which if anyone wants to go to my website, lauravandercam.com, you can um, fill out the form and I'll send you one. But it's also just Excel. Like you, you can do yeah. this on your own. It's uh, days of the week across the top, Monday to Sunday, half hour blocks down the left hand side, 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. Um, unless you happen to wake every day at, say, 4 a.m., in which case you should probably oh. start your start your thing at 4 a.m. instead. Um, in but, which case, you, know, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast because you haven't even figured <laughs> out. Well, you know, so for me, I'm, I'm rarely up before 5 a.m. So that was a good starting point uh, yeah. to, to have the day um, begin and, and, you know, go from there. But, yeah, no, I just... That's that's work for me, and then I check in a couple times a day and write down what I've done. Um, you know, broad brushstrokes. That doesn't yeah. have to be every time you got up to get a glass of water or anything like that. But some people like time tracking apps. That works too. Yeah. What, what about the chunks of time where you have two or three things that you're working on? How do you categorize that? Do you pick which one you spent the most time on in that thirty minute time? No, I'll generally put commas or slashes. You know, okay. just like uh, you know, work comma start dinner. Right. That would be. Yeah. A reasonable thing to put in a half hour block. Yeah. So, so related to these hours that we spend throughout the day, which you know, that like uh, the Annie Dillard says, as as you say, you know, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So, um, one of the things that I loved, though, in one of your recent books, Off the Clock, is how you, you write about the stories that we tell ourselves. This dialogue that so often comes up in our mind whenever we uh, think about how we're spending our time. So what are a few stories? Because I know you've uh, observed the logs of a lot of different people. You've been tracking your own time for several years. What What are a few stories you've found that people tell themselves that just aren't true or that you've realized uh, you were telling yourself? Uh, well, certainly, I mean, some of the more humorous ones are about how many hours people work. Um, you know, we live in a competitive world and uh, people feel certainly they're working long, working hard. And so the number tends to rise based on your feelings about it <laughs> yeah. more than the actual number of hours clocked. I mean, obviously, anyone who's getting paid by the hour knows how many hours they're working. But if, if you don't, if you're salaried, self-employed, whatever, it, it can be a bit more nebulous. And mm-hmm. what, what tends to be happening is that people remember their longest days and their longest weeks as typical. But the question of what is a typical day is a value judgment because there is no, there are no typical days, right? Like, you know, so a better way to get to do this is have you actually track your time or to have you talk through yesterday because, you know, maybe yesterday wasn't typical, but yesterday actually happened. Um, so it's, it's a point of evidence um, in the way that a typical day is not so, I mean, just as an example of this, I used to claim that I worked, you know, 50 hours a week because I actually had tracked my time for various weeks here and there over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I started tracking my time continuously about four years ago, I soon saw that uh, in the past I had chosen very specific weeks to track, like namely the weeks when I was working 50 hours a week um, because I wanted to see myself as, mm-hmm. as the kind of person who was working 50 hours a week. And when I tracked all my time, I couldn't do that. I saw the average was a lot closer to 40 which is a different number than 50. Um, so, you know, here I am writing about this, talking about this, speaking about this, and I've got 10 hours going somewhere completely different um, than mm. I thought. And again, it's not that I never worked 
50 hours a week. Cause obviously I did there, those weeks did exist, but there were also weeks that were 30, you know, and yeah. why in my mind were, were those the atypical weeks? Whereas the 50 were the, the typical and it's, you know, it's a value judgment. Yeah. Hmm. So, so the blind spots that we have around how we managed our time, what do you find, uh, you know, in addition to how long somebody works, uh, what, what, what do people realize what, that they didn't know was true when they keep a time log? Um, well, one of the things that people often see is, you know, that they do have some leisure time. Now, hmm. I will entirely buy that it is not as much as you want, um, but that doesn't mean it's none. Um, and, and so people have this story of like, oh, I have no free time whatsoever. Um, when you track your time, you see you have some, it's just not as much as you want. Uh, but the question is, well, how can I make the most of the time I do have? How can I figure out how to scale it up over time? Uh, but seeing that there's at least some there is good. Yeah. Um, I also generally think, you know, people, people often find sort of happy things when they track their time. Like, I mean, yeah, we all find stuff like, oh, yeah, I wasted 90 minutes on whatever. Um, but that's not really the point. I think it often it's good to see people have been telling themselves a story like, oh, I work full time, so I never see my family. And then they track their time and they're like, well, there's actually a lot of time on here yeah. um, spent with various family members. Uh, guess that story is is not entirely true. It's just one of these larger cultural narratives that people absorb. Hmm. So when somebody has uh, this log of how they spent their time, how should they then pick it apart and analyze it? How, how, should they kind of group it together into these different categories of their life, their leisure time, their work time? Uh, what, what should they then do once they have this big-ass spreadsheet that has a bunch of different uh, squares with how they spent their days? Well, it turns out this is also a personality thing because I hear from all kinds of people be like, well, I'm, I'm trying to classify this group of hours that you know is sort of muddled of what I'm doing. I'm like, oh boy, we have somebody who's trying to make a pie chart. Um, and they're trying to make... <laughs> a pie chart where all the categories are mutually exclusive and comprehensively exhaustive. And it's like, yeah, you don't actually have to do that. I, I think the key thing is figuring out what are the metrics that matter to you. So for instance, maybe you're curious about how many hours you're working or you're curious about how much time you spend on housework and errands or how much time you spend watching TV or sleeping or how much time you spend interacting with your partner or whatever it is that is yeah. of interest to you. And then you should look for that on the log. And, and figure out what that number is. Um, and, and so you don't really have to account for all 168 hours in these separate categories um, because, you know, some time is going to be hard to categorize. I mean, that's just the reality. Um, but, but by looking at the categories that matter to you, then you can get a grip on them. And, and once you, you know, sort of have that, you, you can ask yourself a few questions. I mean, you can ask what you like about your schedule because um, there's probably something and you should celebrate whatever is working well. You might ask what you want to do more of, like what, what you'd like to spend more time on in your life. And then you can also ask what you'd like to spend less time doing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, th and there's probably some uh, benefit that comes just with being aware of how you spend your time in the first place as you're keeping the log. Am I right in saying that or? Totally. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I've stuck with this. I mean, I don't even really do that much data analysis of my time hmm. logs anymore, uh, but it's a journal. It is a very comprehensive journal and I can look back over the logs and like pull up some random week from say October of 2017 and see how I spent my time. And once I'm looking at the log, I remember it. 
right? Like I probably wouldn't remember that random week from October 2017. Yeah. You know, because probably nothing happened that week that's particularly life altering. (laughs) But looking at the log, the whole of the week will come back to me because it's little, little Mm. triggers. Oh yeah, I did that. I did that. Oh yeah. I remember when we did that. And, And so it makes time feel more rich and full because uh, these memories haven't disappeared completely into the past. Do you prefer to look at a time log of the past or a photograph from the past? Um, I mean, I think they both have their places, but a photograph is a specific <coughs> moment in time. Whereas, I mean, the weekly time logs is like a whole week. That's um, a week of so the So it's life. not just like, oh, you know, here we are at the strawberry patch. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember we went out to lunch beforehand. And then we mm. went to this person's place afterwards. And you know, the whole day is there. Uh, in the time log. But, you know, of course, it's fun to look at pictures of my kids when they were little and cute and all that, too. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not so bad. Nope, not bad at all. <laughs> so so a few of these, uh, I, I'm so fascinated by these stories, but uh, I'm also so fascinated, and I think um, uh, listeners and readers of the article that gets spawned from this conversation that we're having, um, you know, the, I'm fascinated that they'll be fascinated just how many thoughts and emotions we all have when we try to manage our time well. And, and so I've captured a, some of these thoughts and emotions that come up for me personally uh, when I try to manage my time. And I'd love to ask you to explain why I might be feeling okay. this way. I have a few of these things. Um, right. So the first one, you've touched on it a little bit. Uh, so I, I know that I have a good amount of spare time because I waste a lot of it. But but why do why do so many of us feel like we have so little time when in fact we have more free time than we think we do? I think it's because um, things that are commitments and obligations sort of expand in our mind. And many of us don't have a whole lot of freely chosen, enjoyed leisure time commitments. So if you think about like going to work, Like here you have eight, nine hours of the day where you have a plan for it for the most part. Like you are doing stuff with it. Um, There are, there are progresses hopefully being made. Hopefully. hopefully. Uh, There are other people that you're accountable for. And so when you have those things in place, that time seems to expand in your mind Mm. because it's just more account. You're accountable for it. Whereas if you think about, you know, a lot of people get home from work, let's say six 30, they go to bed 10 30, 11, like that's four and a half, five hours that is, you know, doesn't have that same structure. You're not accountable for anything. You're not setting goals with it or intentions with it. You know, you haven't thought it through ahead of time. You're not looking back over it. What did I accomplish during this time? And because of that, the time appears smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the to me, one of the obvious things to do is to go ahead and make commitments in your leisure time. But of course, that that's a bit of a paradox here because a lot of people are like, well, I don't, I want, you know, that'll make me feel like even less time if I'm, you know, have to go I'm to my softball it. league. I'm structuring it. I have to go to softball practice on Tuesday night and play in the games on Thursday. Oh my goodness, that's going to take all the free time I have. It's like, well, okay, if you define free time as like sitting on the couch, okay. But sitting on the couch is completely not memorable. It's actually not that fun in the grand scheme of things. Um, whereas, you know, getting the physical activity of playing with your softball team, you know, being accountable to your team, doing stuff together with the team, all of that is um, much more memorable. It makes time feel richer and fuller. And um, because it's structured, then it can compete with work in terms of how you view the time. Um, so, you know, I, I actually encourage people, even if you are busy, um, to not shy from making at least one or two commitments in your leisure time. 
yeah, yeah. So personally, you know, I, I feel that this resistance that I have before doing certain tasks, I kind of equate that resistance to what doing something is actually like. So recently, I was taking an improv course once a week, and yeah, you know, was at the end of the day. It was at seven p.m. It was for two hours, and I thought, oh, I had a long day at work. I really don't want to go. It's not going to be fun. But I'm always happy that I went afterwards. Like you said, you know, you look back on a week of your life and how you spent it. And there is that that beautiful memory, that experience that you would never have. Other, do you think, like uh, on that memorable point, do you think that's one of the main ways we should be judging how we spend our time? Is how many things we do that are worth remembering? Like, how should we measure how well some time went? Yeah, well, I mean, time is really all about memories. Um, most of our life only exists as memories. As it, you know, depending on how old you are, it either exists as future things that will happen or things that have already happened in the past. Very little of life is actually right here, right now. Yeah. Uh, the present is incredibly fleeting. Um, and, and so because of that, I mean, one of the things I write about in Off the Clock, I have a whole chapter about this, about how people you know, give way too much uh, emphasis to the experiencing self. That's the version of Chris that's saying, well, I just got home from work. I'm tired. I don't want to go to improv class. But, you know, Chris at some other point was looking forward to improv class. Like you're the mm-hmm. one who signed up for it, presumably not under yeah. duress. Um, and then you're also <laughs> afterwards, you know, remembering Chris is happy that he went. He's looking back and, oh, well, that was such a funny sketch. Like I laughed so hard when, you know, she fell off the chair and that, you know, act or whatever. <laughs> like yeah. these, yeah. So, I mean, I think we need to pay attention to both the anticipating and the remembering self and not just the present self. Um, There's a great quote from a philosophy book I read, Time and the Art of Living by Robert Gruden. And he said, we pamper the present like a spoiled child. Um, so, so Chris, who doesn't want to go to improv because he's tired, is, you know, like toddler, two-year-old Chris throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. And if you can keep that in mind... Be like, no, no, we're going to be the mature one who's considering both the anticipating and the remembering self. Th- then, you know, you're more likely to just go plan it in, do it anyway. You'll be glad you did. There, there are so many good nuggets like that in, in Off the Clock that if anybody's listening right now that hasn't read it, hasn't listened to it, I, I highly recommend it. The, the book is Off the Clock. Another uh, emotion that often comes up with myself, with other people, is guilt with how we spend our time. Where does where do you think that comes from? Well, I mean, guilt is a useful emotion in the sense that it's how we probably evolve to like live together in, in groups. Because um, if every time somebody was mad at somebody else, that was the end of it, <laughs> then you, you you would all go your separate ways very quickly. Um, so so guilt is this emotion that kind of evolved to make you want to make amends. So mm-hmm. when you have hurt someone, you want to make it better. And um, that's great because then you can repair the relationship. But the key point here is that somebody has to have actually been hurt for it to be a relevant emotion. Um, And that's a a different question. (laughs) I mean, you know, is is anyone um, actually hurt by Chris not answering his email in two hours? Well, probably not. Um, Mm -hmm. Is anyone you know, hurt by the fact that Chris took a break for 30 minutes um, during his workday. Well, again, probably not. Yeah. Uh, so, so if you can keep your focus on whether anyone has actually been harmed by your action, then 
that will sort of make you feel guilt when it's more required and, and less when it's not required. I love that answer. I, I think this is one of the reasons, not to butter you up too much, but, but boy, <laughs> why I love your work so much is it, it really connects with the, the human side of time management of productivity. You know, there's a lot of people, oh, let's make our uh, days more efficient and more effective, whatever those terms actually mean. But it's so easy in, in the pursuit of productivity to forget about the people, uh, which, you know, can, can bear the fruits of our productivity because we have more time at work, uh, because we can create more meaningful experiences uh, with them. I, I love that answer. One, one positive one to end this question, guilt, uh, you know, a, a, after yeah. talking about guilt, after talking about uh, feeling like we have, you know, no time. Uh, what about when we feel satisfied and content with how we spent our time at the end of a day? Where do you think that feeling comes from? Um, well, I think it is often about um, having made progress on things that matter to us. Um, and it's also about having spent time generally with people who energize us as well. Um, you know, when I, I did this time diary study for Off the Clock where I had busy people track their time for a day and I asked them questions about how they felt about their time. And I found that people's uh, time perception scores, so how abundant they felt time was, rose in direct correlation to how many hours they spent with friends and family. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's just that being social makes us feel good. And, and, you know, I know some people are extroverts or introverts, but even introverts generally like spending some time with like one person they like, right? They're, yeah. they're not going to go hang out with 20 people. Um, that may be more of an extrovert activity, but, you know, having a walk with one friend is, is a fun way to spend time. Um, so making progress toward our, our personal and professional goals um, and then having that that social connection are, are all things that tend to figure in good days. Beautiful. One, one question on wasting time. Uh, do, do you have any suggestions for those of us that want to veg out or relax after a long day of work? Like, how can we spend that time uh, feeling good and, and not feeling too guilty about how we spent that? Well, I think if it is consciously chosen leisure time that you are truly enjoying, then great. Um, and so, you know, if it's a favorite TV show that you are watching, awesome. Like you've chosen it, you've saved it up for tonight because it's, you know, you know, you have a long day at work and this is going to be your way to celebrate. Um, I think that is perfectly fine. I think where people get in trouble is when they sort of turn on the TV at some point and they don't care what's on. Um, mm. And then they just keep it on for, for many hours until, you know, pass out on the couch or something like that. Uh, I think, you know, one thing you do is try and come up with a few other leisure activities that are also uh, enjoyable and don't take much energy um, because that's where screen time fits that category very well. And again, there's nothing wrong with some screen time. It's just that it's easy for that to consume the lion's share of our, le our leisure time because it is so easy. So maybe it's something like, you know, doing a puzzle with your family, your spouse or your, your kids or whatever. Maybe it's reading. I mean, reading is a great way to spend low energy reading time. You know, have a good book, then you'll actually read a book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereas if you don't have a good book around, then you probably won't. And that's where some of the more screen time comes in. So, yeah. Um, thinking what you else you can do with this low energy time can, can be helpful. Hmm. So, so kind of a, a buffet of options to, to pick from almost? Yeah, and then maybe try one of those things first. And now I'm not saying it won't, it, you know, you may still want to 
do the screen time veg out thing. But, you know, if you if you give yourself like 20 minutes to read first and then do the screen, like you might get into your book and then you might spend the evening reading and that would probably feel pretty good. Yeah, I love it. Final question that that I like to ask everyone who appears on the podcast because uh, we're all getting better at something at any point in our lives. So what's one thing you're working on becoming better at right now? <sighs> well, I, I think it's what, what we just talked about. I mean, that low energy time, like what do I do when my energy is low? And this could be leisure time, but it could also be whatever else. It could be ineffective inbox checking. It can be scrolling around on social media, pretending to promote my brand. Um, it could your, be. Oh no, your brand. <laughs> my brand. Yes. I, I, and I am trying to come up with something and I go in and out cause some, some days I'm better about reading than others. And again, it's about, yeah. do I have a good book? Um, you know, and some days I do and some days I don't. And it's all about saying, well, okay, I need to build time in my life to come up with books that I would like to read. Cause there's mm. a, many, many books in the universe. I'm sure there's something that I would enjoy. Um, but I'm, you know, taking steps to do stuff like I, I ordered a bunch of puzzles that was also not a hypothetical example hey, that's, yeah, real. Um, that's real you know I love doing puzzles and so now you know my dining room table is is covered with them and I can usually rope a kid into you know helping me <laughs> and we can get through a 200 piece puzzle in 45 minutes and that's perfect right like you've, yeah. you've you know done something that's relaxing um takes very little energy um, but feels a little bit more engaged than just, you know, flipping through screens that I don't really care what's going on. Yeah. What's what's bad in the world right now on Twitter that yes, everybody's exactly. talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, appearing on the show. Um, if, if people want to check out your books, I'll try to I'll try to remember them all. There's um, <laughs> there's Juliet's School of Possibilities. There's Off the Clock. There's I Know How She Does It. There's 168 hours. There's what the most successful people do before breakfast. Yeah, Am I missing good. Did I miss it? No, that's all, well. That's all the time management ones. So uh, oh. that's, that's good. You wrote a money one too, right? I did. It's called All the Money in the World. Are you still into money management? Do you still no, write it all about I don't know. that? It's, just... it's you know, I've, I, I'm interested in it, but it yeah. seems to be something that people are slightly less interested in reading about from me. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stick with stick with what works. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and stick with uh, what you know so well. Uh, for for folks who want more of Laura, there's she also has a couple podcasts. Best of both worlds and Before Breakfast are your two podcasts that you have going on right now. Thank you so much for for appearing on this one. That was awesome. I, I think this is one of those conversations that uh, I'm going to have to listen to a few times because I know there's so many valuable little nuggets in it. And we, we talk often. And so uh, I, I think uh, I can't even imagine how uh, valuable other people will find it. Thank you so well, much. Thank you for having me, Chris. So a few things to try from this interview. Number one, track your time. Uh, you know, we we spend our time throughout the day without really uh, having an awareness of where it goes, where how m- many hours we work. Maybe we're telling ourselves stories around that. So track your time. It, 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 you only have to do it for a few days. You can do it for a week or two. And as Laura said in the conversation, it really just takes a few minutes every single day. And it can help you uh, progress more towards the, uh, the, the kind of days that you want to live and the life that you want to live as well. Uh, pay attention to the stories that you tell yourself around 
uh, around where your time is going, how many hours you're working, whether uh, you're investing your time meaningfully. And one little nugget that I love is the guilt. You know, when, when you feel guilty about when you take a break, when you feel guilty about uh, not answering email. Uh, I think I read a statistic a little while back that the average email is opened within six seconds of being received. This is so often the, the mode in which we work. And so pay attention to that guilt. Are you actually uh, harming somebody or yourself? Then you should feel guilty because then there there are people at stake. But if there's just... Um, you know, some dialogue at stake in your mind. Pay attention to that as well. Finishing up, becomingbettershow.com is where you can find the corresponding blog article for this episode. Uh, but nonetheless, I hope you have a wonderful week and found this episode to be valuable and worth your time, your attention, your energy. I think the tactics in it are even more worth your time and energy and attention. Uh, have a wonderful week. And we'll see you in a couple of Tuesdays for the next episode. Music